Hey, before we get started today, I wanted to hop on here real quick just to let you know that we're not going to have any podcasts for about the next six weeks or so. And that's because I am taking what is officially called a spiritual renewal leave, what we colloquially refer to as a sabbatical from ministry. And I am really excited about it. You know, I I realize this is a privilege that we um, preachers get afforded to us um, once every several years. And the opportunity came for me to take this one. And after the last 18 months, I can tell you, I dearly appreciate this opportunity. And I appreciate you. I um, am grateful for those of you that have kept listening even after the pandemic. Um, I really think it's great. And I hope that you you decide to go back um, and listen to some of our previous episodes for the next six weeks um, and just kind of re-expose yourself to some of that. And I promise that um, in the middle of November... We will be back, and we will have more sermons ready and waiting for you. Thanks so much. You know, the older I get, the more I realize that everything in the Christian life begins with confession. And when I use that word, confession, I don't mean it in a guilt, uh, shame, beat yourself up kind of way, like like as if Christians were, were constantly called to mourn their sins and flagellate themselves over their wrongdoing. No, when I speak of confession, I mean our willingness to interrogate both ourselves and our motives. To consider that maybe, just maybe, we are not the victims we like to think that we are, but that oftentimes we can be the oppressors. It seems to me that we live in a world where folks are more convinced than ever before that they are right. You know what I mean? That, that, that they are certainly right and that others are wrong and that the answers to our problems are simple and that our path forward is obvious. We live in a society where our own sense of moral certainty has overtaken the search for wisdom and the desire for growth. This is an age where we are much more likely to point fingers in judgment than to bend our knees and our backs in humility. And so everything must begin with confession. Everything must begin with the acknowledgement that sometimes we don't know And that's okay. That it's okay to be confused. It's okay to be wrong and and make mistakes. 
So long as we don't cling to our mistakes and pretend them to be righteous and wise. So before we get started here today, I invite you to take some time to talk to God and to confess. Again, when I say that, I, 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 I'm, I'm not inviting you to sit down and enumerate and categorize your sins like you're taking some kind of inventory of darkness. No, I invite you to take some time to appreciate your smallness, to take note of your ignorance, to grasp what you don't grasp and acknowledge what you don't know and how much you still have left to learn. And then when you're ready, find the ideas and the ideologies and the moral certainties to which you cling so Ask God for the strength to simply let go. Confession is where everything begins. Our gospel lesson today is... Mark 9, verses 42 through 50. Hear the word of the Lord. If any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go into hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how can you season it? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I wish to preach to you this morning from the title, Small Price to Pay. Small Price to Pay. Please pray with me. And now, most holy and merciful God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. 
Oh God, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. For it will be better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. When you have an amputated leg, people make all kinds of frustrating assumptions about you. You know, there was this one time I was in the grocery store, and I'm in the checkout line putting my, my things on the little belt there, and from behind me, I just heard a woman say, Oh dear, you got the sugar, honey? And I, I thought she was talking about the groceries or something, and, and, and I turned around, and she, she said, Oh, it was the diabetes, wasn't it? And I said, no, no, actually, I, I, it was a medical issue. It wasn't anything like that. And then I, I went, I, I wanted some Reese cups, you know, and so I, I got some Reese cups and put them on the counter. And from behind me, I heard this whisper, oh, see, he just can't help himself. <laughs> or people sometimes assume that your leg has been blown off in a war. I was at an ordination for a friend of mine down south, and after the service, this big good old boy comes up to me and slaps me on the back and says in a gravelly voice, let me guess, Iraq, Afghanistan. And in an equally gravelly voice, I said, no, Normandy. He looked really shocked, and I said, well, Semper Fi. <laughs> the absolute worst actually happened up at Summit Mall. I was in line at this, this Asian food stand that I like to go to in the food court, um, getting a little bourbon chicken. Y'all know the bourbon chicken? Oh, I love that stuff. And when I placed my order, there was this lady behind me, that, that piped up and said, oh, and, and, and he wants extra chicken. And I looked over, and she just smiled and said, my treat, I got this. Now, at the time, I, I was a pastor at a, at a large church, and sometimes people would recognize me in public, and I, I didn't immediately recognize them. So I just assumed she was one of my parishioners who's face hadn't yet been burned into my brain, and so I graciously accepted her gift and took my food and sat down, and as I was eating, she walked past, and, and I said, oh, hey, uh, thanks again for, for the chicken. I, I really appreciate that, and she said, well, I just wanted to say thank you for your service and sacrifice. And I said, oh, oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm actually not a soldier. It was a, a medical condition. And she said, well, if I had known that, I would have let you buy your own. And she stormed off. The chicken was great, by the way. <laughs> Look, I get it, you know. The, the lady 
uh, wanted to express some gratitude. She wanted to find someone to thank for, for serving and in, in, in sacrificing for her in the country. It was actually very sweet. But when she walked away with her, that scowl on her face that day, I realized something. We understand sacrifices that are made in the context of valor or courage. Battle, battle is, is, is a kind of sacrifice that makes sense to us. The stakes are clear, the objective obvious. But for most of us, those who are trying to live a Christ-centered life, our sacrifices aren't often as epic as that. They aren't showy, nor are they particularly honorable. And most likely, no one will buy you bourbon chicken because you made them. A few years ago, I preached a sermon on a similar passage to this in the book of Luke at a previous church. And, and apparently, I wasn't very clear because afterwards, someone in the congregation came up to me and, and said, you don't really think Jesus wants us to cut off our limbs and gouge out our eyes, right? And I said, well, I, I, I don't think we need to take his words literally, no. And the man looked relieved, and, and he turned around and, and, and addressed his wife and said, see, I told you, the Bible exaggerates. We aren't supposed to take that seriously. Whoa, now that's a different question altogether. Sure, I'll grant that Jesus wasn't talking about literal amputation, that, that he was speaking hyperbolically, but that in no way means that he wasn't being gravely serious. In fact, just the opposite. Did you ever hear the difference between exaggeration and hyperbole? Exaggeration is an overstatement of the facts in order to obscure the truth, right? So, for instance, who's a, a, a fisher? Skipper's here. Skip likes to fish, okay? And, and if you go fishing and, and you catch a, a foot uh, or a, um, a fish that is six inches long and you come back and you say, oh, I tell you, it was a good foot and a half long. That's an exaggeration. It obscures the truth. Hyperbole, on the other hand, is an overstatement of the facts in order to serve the truth. It's like saying, oh, my friend caught this fish and it was like the biggest fish I'd ever seen. Now, we all know that's, that's not true, right? You've been to an aquarium. You've seen jaws, right? You've seen bigger fish. But you say that to convey something of just how big the fish really was. Hyperbole happens when the actual 
true to scale details obscure the truth. When precisely accurate speech cannot possibly capture the sheer weightiness or transcendence of what you're trying to communicate. So, so to think that the use of hyperbolic language means that we don't have to take the Bible seriously is to interpret the hyperbole in the opposite way from, from which it was intended. Hyperbole should make us take something more seriously, not less. We Christians have this tendency to spend an awful lot of time and energy convincing ourselves that we don't have to take the Bible seriously. Whether we're reading about how Jesus tells us to take care of the poor or love our enemies or give without expecting repayment, so often our first move is to say, well, he didn't really mean that, right? He's just using a figure of speech there. Let's not take it too seriously. Because deep down, I think we all have this sense that the Bible and the Christian religion are all well and good until they ask something of us that we are unwilling to give. And that's the moment when we quietly reveal to ourselves and to one another that as much as we may like being Christian, we don't want to live the ridiculous life that Christianity lays out for us. So after this sermon, when you ask me if I think whether Jesus really wants you to gouge out your eye or cut off one of your limbs, I'm not going to be so quick to say no. Because one day you might just find yourself in the same position it's a man named Aaron Ralston. Do y'all remember Aaron Ralston? He was in the news a few years ago. He was 27 years old when he fell into a gorge as he was hiking alone in the Moab Desert of Utah. A boulder fell along with him and it trapped his arm against the side of the canyon. He screamed for help, but there was no one within 20 miles of where he was. So he tried to pull his arm out, twisting and tugging, torquing his body in every way imaginable for five days until his canteen finally went dry. And so he took his final sip of water pulled out his pocket knife and proceeded to saw through his own arm. And that story gripped the nation because we all struggled to understand how a young man could, could do something like that. How could he endure the pain and the agony and the loss of, of cutting off a part of himself but for Aaron, the moment that arm got between him and the rest of his life, 
there wasn't even a choice to be made. The moment that arm got between him and his future, the moment it got between him and his family, him and, and, and the life that he felt called to lead moving forward, that arm became just another obstacle to overcome. Just another sacrifice to be made. Because an arm, a leg, an eye, those are small prices to pay to live the kind of life that God has waiting for you. I saw a little demonstration on uh, trapping once. And the guy who led it talked about seeing a gray wolf that had just gotten its leg caught in a bear trap. You see, if a bear gets trapped, it'll just lie there and wait to die. But a wolf will immediately start attacking its own leg as if it's a whole nother animal. It'll bite through skin and muscle and tendon, even gnaw through the bone, just so it can be free. You see, the wolf understands what Aaron understood in that cave <laughs> and what Jesus understood on the cross. That when death has you by the paw, amputation, as painful and sorrowful as it may be, amputation becomes the only choice you have. And I know it, it, it can seem daunting depending on what kind of trap has you, if you're trapped by an addiction, trapped by a bad relationship, trapped by a, a soul-crushing job, or, or even just an attitude. Some people are trapped by their own money, or their own house, their own pride, their own desire for approval. I'm trapped by this thing or that. I, I, I know it's keeping me from the kind of person God wants me to be in, in, in following God's will, but I'm not a wolf. I'm not Aaron Ralston, and I can't take the pain. I don't have the strength or the stomach for something like that. I felt that way before. And if you feel that way, I have good news. Because believe it or not, sometimes it's actually not that hard. Did you ever read the book, Where the Red Fern Grows? It's this delightful little story about a boy who hunts raccoons. And in it, he describes this trap that they make for the raccoons. And, and all you have to do to trap a raccoon is dig like a six-inch hole in the ground, okay? And all around the sides of the hole, you set nails so that they are pointing in a circle toward the center, um, uh, leaving a, a, a little hole right at, at, at the midpoint of all those nails. And what you do is you put a little piece of tin down at the bottom. And what happens is when there's a bright moon, the raccoon will see the tin 
and he'll reach his hand down through the nails and take hold of it. But the problem is, with the tin in his hand, his fist is too big to come out of the hole without getting caught on the nails. And so he'll just stand there with his hand in the hole and the tin in his hand. And, and he just gets trapped there. And, and he lacks the, the will to do what the wolf can do because he's not going to chew through his own arm. But what he also fails to see that all he would need to do is let go of the tin. And he can be free. <laughs> he can go and prance and dig in my trash can. But now he's become so enamored by that little piece of metal, so obsessed with holding on to that precious little prize that he's just stuck there. Until, that is, a little boy comes skipping through the woods with a baseball bat. There are traps all around us, brothers and sisters. Shiny pieces of metal glistening in the moonlight, looking so precious and wonderful. But when we're trapped like that, when we have a grip on something so hard that it's almost like it has a grip on us, sometimes just the act of letting go feels like amputation. Sometimes it takes just as much courage, just as much valor or grit, just to open up your hand and move on. Or sometimes, if we don't have the strength, we may need to go to our friends, our family, our God, and hand them the knife and tell them to hack away because we don't have the strength to do it ourselves. I don't know what it is in your life that needs to be cut away. I don't know what it is that you have to part with in order for you to continue the journey that God has, has set up for you. But what I want to tell you is that this hacking, it doesn't have to be gory. And it doesn't even have to be painful. It can be a beautiful thing. It can be a wonderful thing, a kind of holy amputation like a raccoon that finally drops the piece of tin. It can be an open hand, like a blossoming flower, pointed to the sky, releasing all that ties it down to the cold earth. These words I offer to you, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, 
and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I think that sometimes when we hear the word sacrifice, often we think that means walking up to God with like a, a hundred dollar bill that that represents the whole of our life and, and, and slapping it down on the counter and saying, here you go, take the whole thing. So we can go out in some sort of glorious blaze of honor. And that's a simple form of sacrifice. I, I, I think we can understand that. We can get our heads around it. We can honor that. But actually, for most of us, says the old preacher Fred Craddock, what God requires is that we take that hundred dollar bill and change it in for quarters. And as we go through our day, we look for places to drop them behind us our tiny shiny pieces of metal here and there given to this person for this cause to this relationship or community little pieces of our life planted like seeds in the world until one day we find that we are free and that by the grace of God we've left an entire forest growing behind us. My friends, may God give you the strength let go of your shiny pieces of metal to make the sacrifices you need to make so that you can be free. And may the love of God the Father, the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with you and be with you now and always. 